Knights of Rainsboro, issue 0.5. Where were you when Partisan died? Quiet is what I miss the most. It was Chinese New Year's and a pack of my Knights Cross medical school chums were prowling the Asian quarter. All around us was the crack of fireworks, the boom of drums, and the chattering voices of the milling masses. I slowly looked to my left and catch sight of Rebecca's smiling face as she watches a green and yellow starburst explode in the sky. I'm smiling as she glances over and catches me staring at her. She grins back at me and, and arches her eyebrow. We've both been generously imbibing the various exotic liquors being hawked by the small army of street vendors. And after weeks of trying to work at my nerve, this is all the invitation I need. I alter my course and take a step towards her. My foot falls and my stomach plunges with it as a feeling of anxiety and doom fills me. I take a second step and feel my legs and hands start to shake uncontrollably. On my third step, I see panic start to mar the beauty of Rebecca's face as she stares at the street behind me. As I twist around, I see the black charger and time begins to slow. An Asian man is partially leaning out the back window. I notice that his lips are curled in a snarl before I notice the Tech 9 at the end of his tattooed arm. I don't hear the gun firing at first. I see puffs of light from the muzzle as the people around me begin to scream. As time continues to slow, the black eye of the muzzle seems to be staring straight at me. It's almost as if I can see the tip of the next bullet while still resting in the chamber. Then I hear it. I flail around in the twilight. My heart is racing. I'm, I'm reaching and grasping for anything. I try to lurch to my feet but find myself falling sideways instead. My head slams into the wood floor, the flash of pain evicting my confusion while ushering in clarity. I lie on the floor for a few minutes, letting my heart slow down and the, the sharp pain in my head fade to a dull ache before entangling my legs from the bedsheets and standing up. The small amount of light leaking around the blackout curtains cast my bedroom in shades of gray. Some days I find the symbolism to be amusing in an ironic sort of way. Today is not one of those days. Stumbling, I cross the room to pull back the heavy black curtains, revealing the Rainsboro skyline. It's midday and the sun is high in the sky. My place is not what you would call typical. It's tucked away in an underused corner of the city where residential, commercial, and industrial districts meet each other, in a hodgepodge of poor civic planning. In front of me is about a block of green space that leads down to the park. A large warehouse complex sprawls out behind the house. To the left, across the street, is a ramshackle bookstore. To the right is an old-timey theater that went out of business after a ghost allegedly began haunting it. Witnesses claim the ghost knew intimate details of their lives and threatened them with highly personal torments. Some people are idiots. Every now and then some douchebag with an EMF meter and a camera will show up and attempt to lay the tortured spirit to rest. I repeat, some people are idiots. 
Of course, in a world where people can fly, shoot heat beams from their eyes, turn invisible, and partisan can be seen about town on a semi-daily basis, maybe ghosts are not such a stretch of the imagination. Maybe I'm just too cynical to believe there's anything after death. Maybe. After a quick shower, I'm brushing my teeth, trying not to stare at my scar. I've been living with it for about a year, but sneaking a glance in the mirror at the penny-sized circle of puckered scar tissue above my left eye, I still marvel at the fact that I was shot in the head. And lived. It's amazing that I didn't end up just another anonymous statistic of gangland violence. The residual effects caused by the damage to my brain are less amazing. It's it's hard to explain. Hell, I don't even understand it myself. I spent four weeks in a coma after being shot. By week three, no one thought I was going to open my eyes again. Even my parents were considering letting me go. Then I woke up. At first, I had this constant hum of white noise in the back of my brain. As I continued to heal and physical therapy returned strength to my body, the noise continued to get louder and louder until eventually distinct words began to appear out of that background noise. That's when I realized I could hear what people were thinking. Telepathy, like most superpowers, is not well understood by science. My theory is that the damage done to my brain somehow enhanced my ability to detect and interpret the subtle variations in the weak bioelectrical field that we all generate. Now, before you start congratulating me, let me just go on record as saying it's horrendous because I, I can't control it. I can't turn it off. Whenever people get close enough, I just start hearing their surface thoughts whether I want to or not. As I pick up more people, it gets exponentially worse. One person isn't bad. RF-36. RF-36, hey, what are you looking at, asshole? Give me the stink eye, whoa. Whoa, really big guy, look away, look away, look away, Dixieland. Then I wish I was in Dixie, hooray, hooray. Ah, it's just great, stupid song's gonna be in my head the rest of the day. RF-36, RF-36. I can tune it out easily. Five people are like a fly continuously buzzing around your head. It's damn annoying, but otherwise harmless. Picking up twenty people at once. It's like nails on a chalkboard. If it goes on long enough, I start having piercing headaches. Fifty people? That's when the migraine set in. A thousand people hearing all their voices inside your brain is indescribable. My heart starts racing, my limbs turn to jelly, and vomiting is immediate. The human brain just isn't built to take that type of sustained stimulus. It's not an accident that I live where I do. 
So there I was, miraculously alive against all hope, surrounded by joyful family, friends, with the medical school offering me a spot to resume my training next semester. And there I was, desperate to get away from everyone and escape the painful cacophony of mental noise. Somehow, though, I made it through. I got a prescription for Imitrex, went back to school, and struggled to finish it along with residency. Now I work as a medical examiner at Rainsboro General. In my free time, I try to accomplish some good with my powers. Now, don't get me wrong. I know I'm a superhero poser. My telepathy is more of a hindrance than a help in a fight. However, I can generate telepathic blasts that do a good job of stunning and disabling the bad guys. Plus, the more blasts I pump out, the less sensitive I am to other people's thoughts for a little while. I focus on low-level street crime and leave the heavy lifting to guys like Partisan and the Alchemist. Also, I'm damn good at my day job. I like to think I help the city more at the morgue than I do as Dr. Necropath. Yeah, that's my superhero name. Plus, with all the superpowered activity that goes on here, we see some wild things. I once had to autopsy a guy with unbreakable skin. It took a long time, it was messy, and trust me, it wasn't easy. But the variety keeps things interesting. Heat vision, supersonic speedsters, anthropomorphic reptiles, we see it all here. It's also a constant reminder that when I put on my mask and hit the streets... I'm still a very fragile human being. Then there's my other power. And uh, unlike the telepathy, it took a long time to develop. Sometimes when I touch things, I can see where they've been and what's happened to them. I, I see into their past. Truth be told, getting glimpses of past injustices is what originally drove me to don a mask. I'm working the night shift this week. I should try to go back to bed, but I've had enough experience with that nightmare to know that's not going to happen. I walk into the kitchen and make the first of what is sure to be several pots of coffee. Wandering into the living room, I flop onto the couch and click the television on. Instead of the expected daytime sitcom reruns, I'm confronted with Dennis Dane's finely capped teeth. Good evening, Rainsboro. Dennis Dane here at the Action 5 News Live News Desk in high definition. Word is coming in now from the community of Knightsbridge. Calls to 911 report that Partisan is engaged in a high-powered conflict with an as-yet unidentified suspect. Callers have shared that already a great deal of destruction has occurred. Reports of fires and damage to streets and buildings have been received. Emergency responders have been dispatched. Officials encourage citizens to avoid the Knightsbridge area. I'll say that again. Avoid the Knightsbridge area. Gulping down the rest of the mug, I grab my gear and head out to see if I can lend a hand. Knightsbridge is on fire. My eyes sting and lungs burn from the acrid black smoke billowing from it. After working the periphery of the battles for about two hours, the pain behind my eyes has increased to an angry, insistent thud. Thankfully, most people have long since evacuated the area. That, plus being able to unload the occasional blast on looters, has let me stay in the game so far. I haven't caught a glimpse of the main event, but I've heard enough to know that it's way out of my league. I've kept to the edge, helping civilians evacuate, providing basic first aid, helping locate people caught in collapsed buildings, and I've turned in at least a dozen looters to the police. Pretty basic stuff, except for that ant rescue squad. I kid you not. Earlier in the afternoon, I'd enter a neighborhood only to find millions of ants performing search and rescue in conjunction with firefighters and paramedics. That's, uh, that's something you don't see every day. I had just started patrolling a new neighborhood. I have a pretty simple pattern. I basically crisscross each block trying to pick up the thoughts of everyone hurt, lost, trapped, or up to no good. 
Moving down an alley between two apartment buildings when an unearthly howl tears through the air around me. It seems to be coming from every direction at once. Collapsing my knees, I jam my hands over my ears and feel warm fluid oozing out of them. Relief floods me as abruptly the auditory assault stops. I glance up wondering what had just happened. When suddenly my mind is ripped apart by a tidal wave of mental anguish and pain. It rolls over me, suffocating me. I, I try to fight it, to block it out, but it's just too strong. My heart is jackhammer as I collapse to the ground. I can faintly feel my limbs jerking uncontrollably. The sharp points of debris dig into my back, and my mouth is filled with a warm, salty taste as darkness consumes me. We, we have confirmed reports that Partisan is dead. Partisan is dead. I am five minutes into beating the hell out of Bill when I realize that I haven't taken my collar off. Every time, I gotta come over here and remind the slob that it's not okay to beat your kid. I take the collar off, like a married man taking his wedding ring off around his mistress. Today, though, the way things have gone this week, I was so blinded by rage that I forgot. Every time I land a punch on his face, I think about the struggles in my own life. The politics of the church, my family, my, my mother specifically, the matriarch of the Argento crime family, and yeah, the death of Partisan. The entire city has been in the grip of despair and depression since Partisan died. Like an angel from heaven, Partisan came from the skies to defend the city from the scum and villainy that have become so rampant that a whole borough of the city had to be walled off and used as a prison as no single prison would be large enough to hold all the criminals. Light flashes in my eyes. My patience has been reduced to almost nothing since I moved back to Rainsboro from New Jericho. I tried to move there to get a new life away from my mother and my family, but the city was just too much for me. I came back to Rainsboro, back to the life I've tried so hard to escape. And as I look down at Bill, his hands covering his head as I kick him in his side, I wonder if the light I'm seeing is from God or from the rage I feel. Bill asks me to stop, and I do. I tell him the usual warning about hitting his son. See you at church this Sunday? I ask, not waiting for an answer as I leave him crying on the floor and walk outside. The sky above is overcast, but the temperature is nice and breezy. Timmy sits on the front step of the house, dribbling a basketball slowly and staring off. I sit down next to him and pat him on the back. You don't need to do that, you know, he tells me. I know, I tell him. He looks at me with a great big black eye. I'm glad you do, though. He gets up and starts to head inside, pausing for a second to look back at me. We gonna play some hoops this weekend? He tosses the basketball to me. I dribble a couple of times and pass it back to him. You know it! I smile back at him and wave as he goes inside, and realize that my knuckles are bruised and bleeding. Timmy's a strong kid, unfortunately from a bad set of genes. I know beating on his dad every time he hits his son is a bad example, but sometimes there's a time for prayer, and sometimes there's a time for action. Timmy needs me for both right now. When I get back to St. John the Apostle Catholic Church of Rainsboro, I pass by a woman sitting in the pews and head straight to the restroom to wash my hands. My shirt has come untucked, and I realize I look a mess. My face is pale, and sweat has made my hair stick to my forehead. 
I wash my face and my hands, looking down at the bruises. I have to work on making sure those don't get noticed. As I walk back into the sanctuary, I see the young woman anxiously praying, tears streaming down her face. Can I help you? I ask her. She looks up at me, eyeliner streaming down her cheeks. Father Dominic? I hand her a tissue from the small travel pack I carry with me, and she wipes her tears. I sit down in the pew in front of her and turn towards her. May I ask what's wrong? It's my husband, she says, trying not to cry again. He died a couple of days ago. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm, I'm sure he was a good man. He was a great man. He was partisan. For a second, I'm not sure I actually hear what she's saying. Father, she asks, snapping me back to attention. He knew all about you, you know. What do you mean? Argento, like the mob? Was your husband really partisan? He was, and he liked your sermons. It's funny, he, he was so busy all the time. We never had time to raise children or go on long vacations, but he set aside that hour every Sunday to come to your sermon. Really, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't... It's okay. I know you see hundreds of people probably every week, and he, well, he tried not to make an impression. You know, secret identity and all that. Don't draw attention to yourself. But he knew that you weren't like your family. He knew that you were trying to right the wrongs that they did through your sermons. I think you inspired him. I didn't know how to respond. Hearing that you've inspired one of the greatest legends of all time, well, it's a bit much to take. A moment later, I ask, so what was it like being married to uh, a god? <laughs> I laugh. No, a superhero. We don't really call anybody gods here except, you know, God, first commandment and all that. <laughs> right. It was, I don't know, he was a, he was a sweet guy. I, I really did love him and not partisan, him. But I loved, she paused as if not to reveal his real name. He was a good husband and now he's gone. Again, I'm sorry for your loss. The entire city has lost a great deal and I know you have most of all. I just wish I could have one more conversation with him, you know. I I mean, you plan for this kind of thing in his line of work, but you don't realize the things you're going to miss. I miss hearing his voice. I miss the conversation we'd have when he had a minute to actually talk to me. I kind of know what you mean. My father died when I was pretty young. I, I don't remember much about him, but there are still some times I wish I could have a conversation with him to know if he'd approve of the way I've gone in life. I'm sure he would have. You're a good man, Father Dominic. Yeah, but he wasn't. We had a good laugh for a moment. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, she says. Of course, any time. Will I see you on Sunday? I'm not sure. No offense, it's just that right now I'm not really into the idea of hearing about higher purposes and all that, you know. I understand. I hope you'll come around. There's always room for you here. Thank you, Father. Questioning your faith. I wonder if people actually realize how much a priest actually does that. There are moments when you're absolutely convinced that you've dedicated your life to something that's just not there. But you always come out the other end with your faith intact. Some would call it stupidity, the blind faith. But it's not really blind when you see the heroes that the city of Rainsboro has. I've seen them on TV, seen the good deeds that they've done. It's as if God himself had a backup plan for someone to take the lead on protecting the city now that partisan is gone. 
None of the heroes, except for the alchemist, were by partisan side when he died. I'm sure they feel the pain of not being there to help. We sit quietly for a moment, and I feel a hand upon my shoulder. It's Bishop Cornell, head of the diocese. Good afternoon, he says to me and the young woman I'm sitting with. Good afternoon, Bishop, he doesn't sit. I have to talk to you about something, if you have a moment. Excuse the intrusion. No intrusion at all, she responds. Uh, of course, Bishop. I follow him a couple of steps away, outside of hearing distance. Though we don't approve of your methods all the time, you know we appreciate the great work you've done for the community. A member of our community, you mean my mother, a member of our community has pulled some strings, and you've been requested to be the order at Partisan's funeral. Excuse me? Partisan's funeral is this weekend, and your services have been requested to provide the sermon for the funeral. Isn't this going to be televised? Yes, and thousands will be in attendance. It's a great honor to be considered for this son. Yes, Bishop, you're, you're right. It's just a bit overwhelming. He put his hand on my shoulder. I know, son, but you'll find strength in God's light. Oh, and this had nothing to do with your mother. This was actually a specific request from Partisan's family. He walks off, and I turn to see the front door of the church closed and Partisan's wife gone. Whew. God's light. Oh, God will have an angel watch over me now. I know I could use the help. Knights of Rainsboro is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. Intro music generously provided by Derek K. Miller. For more information about Derek and his music, visit penmachine.com. Outro music is provided courtesy of Dan Kelso. You can find these and other great pod-safe tunes at musicalley.com. All goat sex involved in the production of this podcast was purely consensual. Music